0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explicit Podcast. I'm Corey, and today you're going to watch me talk to Matthew Aliotta, who is a professor at the University of Minnesota. He's a virologist, um, and he deals specifically with the transfer of viruses from animal species to humans or other animal species to other animals. So with everything going on with COVID right now, the new variant's finally in the USA, I really wanted to talk to another virologist. Um, I just recently spoke to Vincent Racaniello, who was amazing on the podcast. Uh, You can check that one out in the link below in the description, but um, this one is very, uh, it's updated, it's interesting, and it's kind of scary. Don't forget to like this video, hit that subscribe button and hit that bell notification so you get notified every single time this face comes on your screen. Thanks for watching and enjoy this episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast with Matthew Aliotta. Peace out. This episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast is brought to you by Bravo Concealment. Bravo Concealment is known for some of the best high quality and concealable holsters on the market. Located in the great state of Texas, they offer free shipping and unlimited lifetime warranty on all of their products and a 30 day money back guarantee if you don't like the product. I've been using Bravo Concealment for my gun holsters ever since I got into guns, and the quality is by far, bar none, the top notch in the entire industry that I've seen. And right now, they're doing a buy one, get one free plus free shipping the 30-day money-back guarantee and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product, of any purchase on their website by using Explicit10. Use the code EXPLICIT10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from BravoConcealment.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explicit Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have Matthew Eliota, who is a professor at the University of Minnesota. and Today we're gonna to talk more about the coronavirus, just viruses in general, um, and you know his point of view and his research and everything that he's kind of been doing his whole career into teaching and, and professionally uh, as far as that goes. So thank you uh, so much, Matthew, for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks, man. And can you just give people a little background about yourself, kind of like you know where you come from? You're a young guy, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, so <laughs> as you said, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota. My lab studies um, primarily mosquito-borne viruses, and so things like Zika and dengue virus, and we try to understand um, how viruses evolve um, both inside of the host but as they are transmitted between hosts um, to infect new hosts, to overcome intervention strategies, um, to evade the immune response. Um, and, you know, to understand where, um, new pathogens might come from and how they might spill over from animal, um, animals in the wild to then infect humans as well.
0: Right. Yeah. I know that's mosquitoes, man. People don't think about that. Mosquitoes are like, was it the West Nile virus or something like that came from a mosquito?
1: Yep. West Nile virus is mosquito born.
0: Okay. All right. All right make sure I wasn't making that up. Um, yeah. that's, that's crazy. So what, what kind of diseases, you know, you said dengue and stuff like that. Now I feel like a lot of those, those diseases are in, you know, third world countries, stuff that places that just don't have kind of the, the, the antivirus stuff, the anti, the vaccines and stuff like that. We have, I know when I went to Africa, um, for a documentary, I went to Sierra Leone and I had to get like a ton of stuff, um, uh, yellow fever shots, um uh what's it called malaria pills I stopped taking them when I was over there um but I did hear the about the like dengue and stuff like that and it, can you kind of like talk on you know I don't really hear that in the United States but can you kind of like talk about that a little bit
1: right um so these are really tropical diseases Right. so they're confined to the equatorial tropics um and it has mostly to do with the mosquito that transmits them hmm. um so dengue Zika, yellow fever virus, and another virus called chikungunya virus are all transmitted by the same mosquito species, which is called Aedes aegypti. And so this is a mosquito that is, is found throughout the tropics, um, everywhere um, in the tropics, whether you're in Africa, South Central America, Southeast Asia. Um, we have some Aedes aegypti here in the United States along the Gulf, Gulf Coast, um, parts of Florida. Um, but it is, is re- really, geographically confined because of temperature. Mm. And so it's a, a concern as the, the, we can expect climate change might expand its geographic range. Um, but in places like Minnesota, um, we don't really have to, to worry about something like dengue because we just don't have the mosquitoes here. Right. Um, if you think back to, you know, 2016, 2017 with the big Zika, epidemic in south and central america we did have a, a significant number of cases in florida hmm. um, so there is the potential for for those viruses to be transmitted here in the united states and if you think back historically yellow fever virus has been a, a major problem throughout u.s history um, malaria has been a major problem in the united states up until about the 1950s when it was eliminated Um, but these, these pathogens really thrive, um, where you find the mosquito.
0: Right. Okay. Two questions off that. So one, there's only one specific species that hosts the majority of those, those, uh, viruses.
1: Well, so, so there are about 3000 mosquito species there, I'd say roughly 150 of them can transmit pathogens. And then when you're talking about some of these viruses, so like yellow fever, dengue and Zika, which are actually they're in the same virus family. So they're very closely related. They're all transmitted by that single species of mosquitoes, Mm -hmm. mosquito Aedes aegypti. Malaria is trans. It's a parasite. It's a single cellular parasite. So it's different. It's transmitted by a different mosquito species um, That. And then within a different genus of mosquitoes, so a different kind of mosquito. Right. Um, and then there are several different species that can transmit malaria parasites.
0: That's crazy. And so as far as uh, are they transmissible to like people like easily, like coronavirus and Delta and all that stuff?
1: Um, well, so now it, it's different um, because you're not you know, you don't have human to human transmission with the exception of something like Zika virus, which can be transmitted sexually. So, hmm. you know, you're not gonna have um, it spread, um, you know, in, in gatherings from person to person, you need the mosquitoes present. But in, um, you know, many parts of the world wow. we're creating conditions that facilitate very large mosquito populations. So Aedes aegypti, this mosquito that I've mentioned several times now, is really, um, you know, has co-evolved with humans and really is adapted to an, ur- an urban environment. It fights, it feeds on humans almost exclusively. It likes to go inside to feed. Um, and so it it's really, uh, adapted to efficiently, you know, be a really good transmitter of, right. of these viruses.
0: Great. Right. That's, it's funny. You talk about like kind of climate change. I just talked to Jim Fleming's who was a, uh, I mean, a climate change guy, uh, his whole career. And we were talking about like, you know, like doomsday and all of this stuff and how how, how much climate change is, is changing, not just, you know, the climate and, and, you know, icebergs and stuff and glaciers and stuff like that. But you don't even think about stuff like that. Like if places that are typically colder get hotter, then new species and stuff will start migrating into those locations, right?
1: Yep. So you expand the geographic range of the mosquito. I mean, human behavior with with anything you're talking about from an infectious disease standpoint is really one of the underlying causes of why we're seeing, um, you know, the, these new pathogen spillover, hmm. increased transmission of certain pathogens. So, um, you know, there are social determinants of health, whether that's you know access to clean water or housing or um, you talk about forest fragmentation, creating, um, ideal conditions for, for spread of Lyme disease. Um, and it's just human modification of the environment is really creating this, um, these ideal conditions for, for a lot of these pathogens to just flourish.
0: Right. Would you also say that a big contributor, like, for example, we're going to shift a little bit to, um, the, the outbreak and, and coronavirus and kind of where, people or are the, the experts think that it came from as far as like either a wet market or something like that do you think like having regulation that were that was very like strict like like not having those because i know those have been an issue for a, quite a long time the wet markets and stuff like that because they're just a breeding ground for disease for the most part when you're talking about animals having viruses and diseases and having transfer do you think that there should be something that should be set in place to where things like that shouldn't happen to prevent possible outbreaks like this?
1: Well, I mean, I think the, the wild animal trade, and this is getting out of my area of expertise, but it it is a, it's a, I mean, it's an economic issue, but it's a certainly a public health issue. Um, And these, you know, consumption of essentially wild game, happens all over the world um you, know, you can think from think of it you know even from the standpoint of here in minnesota it's deer hunting season um and so you know there probably needs to be some kind of regulation in place from a cons- conservation standpoint from a public health standpoint but um i can't get too deep in the course of my area
0: no no i think i was just curious like your opinion because I, I feel like they're like, you know, if if it's been such a big issue and it's potentially caused this global pandemic in a way, I just talked to uh, Vincent Rackenyellow. Uh, uh, yellow yeah. So, and we talked about the wet markets, and he's certain that's where it came from. Um, even though there was like no bats in that wet market for like since 2017 or something. But um, but we talked like in depth about that because it's a it was a major issue, and if that's where it came from, then it's kind of like why wouldn't you stop it? I know that it's, it's in China, it's around the world, but
1: no, know. no. And so, I mean, it's just another opportunity for human animal contact to occur. Right. So the, the more contact you have, whether it's through some kind of market or through um, just being out in the forest, right. You're exposed to, to potential pathogens, hundreds of pathogens, mm-hmm. just on a daily basis through normal interactions with your pets. And, you know, animals in your backyard, but so to just increase the opportunity to then have exposure to, um, you know, more exotic type species that might harbor something that is is potentially dangerous. You know, from the standpoint of something like the coronavirus, it, it's again just another opportunity um, for a spillover type vent to event to All occur. Right.
0: That's a good way to put it. it. Kind of like you're opening it up more of an opportunity. Um, whether it's right or wrong, it's just more of an opportunity for you to have interactions like that. That's a, that's a good way to think about it. Um, I was actually going to um, ask you about speaking of like, do you know anything about like the home Remember the mad cow disease? Yeah, that was crazy. Right. I mean, but that, that's not like a wild animal. That's like a cows. We were eating them. You know what I mean? So do you know anything about like that or, or what kind of cause that?
1: Yeah. So that's a prion disease um so so these are essentially misfolded proteins um so i don't know if you know if heard of chronic wasting disease and deer
0: yeah it's like Um, is that uh the one when they kind of like go like it's it's like uh not rabies but like uh they just go crazy and they look like zombie deer
1: kind of it's a it's a essentially a wasting type of disease so wow um but it's a similar similar type of situation and i think um, again, that this, that's not my area, but, um, that's, it's, a yeah, a different type of infectious agent than a virus.
0: That's crazy. Okay. So can you tell me the difference between that and a virus then?
1: So a virus is, um, the genetic material is either DNA or RNA. So a nucleic acid. And so a prion is a, I mean, people used to when they were first discovered, they called them slow viruses because they affected people for so long. It took years before you started to see the, the clinical manifestations of the disease. Um, but they're not viruses. They're, they're actually a, a specific type of protein that has, has, has gone wrong inside of the host, um, where it had a normal function, but has changed in a way that then becomes pathogenic to the host. That's.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to like uh, tune into my, my Vincent conversation of like, you know, cause he's, he's a virus guy you know, and you're, you're a virus guy. So um, we talk a lot about vaccines, mm-hmm. um, which uh, transparent, I'm fully vaccinated um, just because I travel so much and it's kind of, it makes sense. The data is like that's that's the thing. I, I was kind of always like I put my tinfoil hat on sometimes, and I'm like, "There's not enough data yet." It's like they've been working on these things for a long time, yeah. um, so it's nothing new. It's not like they just made up a new vaccine in twelve months, you know. So, um, so I want to talk about vaccines in a minute. But um, what's your kind of? I've been kind of confused on how it's been handled as far as the general public. And I know there's over 300 million people in, the, in America. It's very hard to just pick one thing and then have everyone do it, right? So um, I told you before we started, I'm going to a Packers game. And I looked up their uh, protocols. They don't have any. Uh, I can go to the game. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to be vaccinated. I don't have to show proof of vaccination. But then I looked at some other stadiums and you do have to have proof of vaccination. You do have to wear a mask. You do have to do this MBA. You have to, if I think it's from what I got, from what I saw is if it's inside the regulation is different versus like outside a football stadium, you're pretty much out in the elements. Um, you know, these super spreader events, I, I would assume that I thought we were going to have more huge cases after sports events started letting fans back in you see these videos of college games and it's like hundred thousand students just drunk and just going crazy all over each other I thought that they were gonna after that have like these hotbeds all around the country do you what's your opinion or do you know any kind of data or anything of why that is or why that isn't
1: um I mean I think probably anecdotally that the being outside helps a lot. Hmm. Um, you know, so the virus is spread through aerosols. Um, but when you're outside in the air, if you're next to an infected person that is shedding virus as there's cheering or talking, it's going to be very quickly diluted out by just the changeover in the the natural air presence that just doesn't happen the same way inside of a, a room or a building. Right. Um and I I agree. I was worried initially um when they started letting fans back into games that, that there would be, especially with, with college students, but I think a lot of universities now are um you know have vaccine requirements for the student population and faculty and staff as well. But I think it speaks to the power of um you know, being outside and that that's a good way to, to mitigate risk.
0: Right. Yeah. That's what, what I, I was talking to Vincent about as far as like uh, why wasn't early on, whether it's Fauci or Trump or whoever talking about some of the basic things that could not just prevent, but kind of like help mitigate stuff like going outside, getting some sunlight, getting some vitamin D exercising, being healthy versus only solution was, vaccination you know what i mean so that was kind of well
1: so yeah i mean i think what where where the messaging could have been better and still could be better is to emphasize the need for a layered approach so Mm -hmm. no one one approach is going to be 100 percent effective the vaccines are great right um they in all likelihood will prevent severe disease, um, will prevent hospitalization at, at a, a very, very high rate. Um, you know, there is some waning immunity and now we need boosters. Um, and so there is some risk of breakthrough infection. Um, so they're not hundred percent effective, but if you then layer on top of that activities where you're outside, or if you continue to wear a mask indoors, um, then, then you start again moving the needle back to being closer to 100% effective. And so, I, I agree that the messaging could have been far better in terms of this is the only way, um, instead of talking about how how we need a, a layered approach.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's funny because I talking to you here and you say that Vincent literally said basically kind of the same thing of the messaging should have been a little different and and kind of telling everyone all of the options and doing it together at the same time is the best uh, choice, because, you know, the mask thing too, I've, if I'm vaccinated, do I have to wear a mask? If I'm not vaccinated, I should wear a mask. Like when can I stop wearing a mask and everywhere Vincent tells me, I mean, he's like, I think you, you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, but you should because it'll help prevent the spread, and honestly, there's so much misinformation about masks in general, man. Because I always thought, like, I always heard on podcasts and on TV, oh well, the virus is so small, it's going to go right through your mask anyway. So what's the point? And then Vincent's like, well, no, you don't really give out any kind of like uh, like naked viruses. It's going to be in a little like you know water bubble or something like that, and that is what's going to catch it. I-, I had no idea that that was real. So like, you know, do you have any kind of like uh, insight on, on why people should still wear masks? Cause I think they should um, for the most part.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, the primary reason and the reason I continue to wear masks is because I have kids that aren't um, eligible for vaccination yet. Hmm. Um, and there, in addition to that, there are people, that, you know, you could set the, the decision to get vaccinated aside. There are people that can't get vaccinated because of underlying health conditions. There are people that are vaccinated but might be immunocompromised for some reason or another that are their body is not going to respond to the vaccine the same way. And so, um, you know, my mask protects you, and your mask protects me. And so, I think um, again, it's it's trying to to give the vaccines time to do the job that they were designed to do so we're you know we're if you look at the data from around the country we're back in in kind of a, a really a, a danger area in many states around the country in terms of the number of cases and hospitals being overwhelmed i mean their federal healthcare care workers were sent to minnesota this past week to help out because of er's and icus being just overloaded and staff shortages
0: and so really yeah what i didn't even know that. I, I heard there was some like hot bed i've literally um it's almost like you know the classic american mindset something tragic happens and in 24 hours the cycles like moved on i feel like i'm almost at that point where i don't even especially now that i'm fully vaccinated i i rarely think about it uh but then i didn't even realize that a lot of states or some states are having i know there's hot beds throughout the country but they're not where yep. I'm at, so I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the I'm in Colorado, so it was uh, for in the beginning. It was yeah. Colorado was really bad. Yeah, um, I didn't know that. Is it because maybe uh, it's it's starting to get cold? I know we're going into winter.
1: Yeah, I th- I think that has fueled some of the the increase in the number of cases that we've seen recently is the change in the weather and people going inside. I mm-hmm. think part of it is that people have just either become numb to the reality of right. of COVID and have grown tired of, um, trying to, to follow intervention strategies. Again, it's a human behavior type situation that, that, I mean, it makes everything in, in public health complicated.
0: Right. Do, um, do you think this is going to be like the a seasonal flu now, like where it's going to come back every year?
1: Yeah, we're we're never going to totally eliminate COVID. It's not going to ever go away completely. Um, so, and that's has a lot to do with you know that it's something that originated in wild animals. So there's potential for it to, you know, cycle outside of humans and spill over back into humans. But I think this is. Um, something that we'll have to contend with for, for the foreseeable future. Um, and at some point in time, I think mostly everyone will be exposed. And I think the important question is, do you want to be exposed having vaccine induced immunity? Right. Um, or you want to risk just trying to to fight it off.
0: Right. Okay. That actually sparks a question I have. So I talked to, I don't know if you know who she is, Rebecca Katz from Georgetown University. Um, she's on Biden's uh, COVID task force now. Um, I talked to her in like uh, this, it was December of 2019. And then I talked to her in February, um, February 23rd, I believe it was of 2020, literally like the week before she had hit the fan and everybody had to, it was locked down. And like, she was literally just like, I, I thought she was like Miss Cleo, man. She was like predicting the future. She was like, oh, don't be surprised if schools are shut down for forever and, or for a while and masks are going to be normal. And I'm like, you're crazy, Rebecca. That's never going to happen. I have a bunch of holsters from Bravo, and one of them is the inside the waistband holster. So this goes inside the waistband if you want to conceal carry. Also, swap it out here, outside the waistband. So this outside the waistband is actually like hella thin and you can see kind of like how how close to the body it can get you could take this on the range um you can probably conceal this and comfortably do it with you know a hoodie over top or whatever if you want to open carry um it's up to you they also send out mag pouches right so you can throw an extra mag you're going to the range you don't have to unload and reload every single time you got a little uh hollow point moment they come in handy if you're on the range like i said or if you can still carry and you're one of those people that are gotta have a lot of mags or whatever um you know whatever whatever your cup of tea is they also send you these really cool pamphlets they go into great details in these brochures of how to wear things properly safety mechanisms and all the features that all of these holsters have as well so they really focus on educating their customers which when it comes to guns safety and education are Number one, they don't have any left-handed holsters except for the Glock 19. I'm a lefty, but the right-handed holsters are so dope and they're so comfortable and concealable that I don't really give a shit. Just learn how to shoot with my right hand. And right now, they're doing a buy one, get one free plus free shipping, the 30-day money-back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product of any purchase on their website by using explicit10 use the code explicit10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from bravoconcealment.com uh sure enough it happened but um one thing we talked about was the the kind of like uh the the, the how it's how it spread um it, so like and this is kind of what you're talking about like mosquitoes we know you know they suck your blood out then they can put Stuff in you, or they just they just carry that stuff. When it comes to like a virus jumping from an animal to a host or another animal or a human, how does that how does that happen? Is it because we ate that thing, or it bit us, or it's just around us? Like, how does that happen?
1: Um, well, I mean it, it it could be through a number of different pathways. Um, so it could be you know something that that you eat, but that's maybe potentially unlikely because Mm -hmm. you know passing through the gi tract is is difficult um it could be through some kind of aerosol contact which is how sars-2 the virus that causes covid is spread Um, it could be because you're butchering an animal and you have um you accidentally cut yourself and there's exchange of blood and body fluids which I, i think everyone now believes is how HIV originated in the human population, um, and so there, there are. It depends on the the specific virus that you're talking about, but there are, are multiple different pathways that could facilitate a, a spillover type of event.
0: Wow. Okay. Do you do we know at all how COVID, like for sure? Because I know there's the whole like conspiracy of it the Wuhan lab and all that stuff uh, and the leak, but do we know like how it came? Cause I mean, for, when I was talking to Rebecca, she was like more than likely what we know, obviously we knew nothing in February of 2020. Yeah. She's so, like, it probably came from a bat because they carry those cause they carry coronaviruses.
1: Right. And so I, I'm a proponent of the natural origin theory. So right. I, I don't think it was a lab leak. I think it came from a wild animal. Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, the original SARS, so I guess the first thing I'll preface with, this with is it's very difficult to actually find the species that it, a virus came from in this like agent one or whatever they call it. Yeah. 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 Uh, patient zero,
0: patient zero, agent yeah. one, what so the hell is that? A-
1: animal, animal zero maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so for, for the original SARS, I think we got, we, the research community got lucky in understanding kind of the, exact transmission pathway from a bat into civet cats. Um, And so we may never know where SARS-2 came from, um, but it's related. It's closest relative is a coronavirus that they found in bats. Um, And it's very closely related to the original SARS from the early 2000s that also came from bats Mm -hmm. and then jumped into civet cats. So this intermediate species. Um, And so, We know civet cats and they're called raccoon dogs were sold at the market in in Wuhan. Um, And I think right now that's maybe the the best guess at where it came from.
0: Right. Um, And so, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, that, that made sense when she told me and then of course everything happened and what was, what kind of threw me for a loop a little bit was when Trump was in president, was the president, Everyone thought the Wuhan lab thing was a crazy conspiracy. And then when Biden got into office, he actually sent, investi- investigated that theory. I said, I, I didn't ever, I never heard of a conclusion or anything, but Vincent was telling me that he, he knows the woman, I don't know how her name, that, that runs that facility. And he was saying there was actually like no facility in China that had that, like this virus in the actual lab for it to even leak anyways. So, I mean, I I agree with you. I think um, I put my, I took it off my tinfoil hat and and put it away when I kind of like just thought about it. Like it makes more sense for it to come from an animal, especially if this has happened before and then getting into cats, which is a house, like would be in your house more than likely, correct? Or at least around more humans than a bat in a cave, right?
1: Right, so we're not talking talking about domestic cats. So civic cats are essentially a wild animal that is consumed. Um, But I think part of what you're talking about speaks to more towards, so I think there, you know, I don't think the possibilities of where it came from are equally likely. I think it's fine to, you know, lab accidents happen. Mm -hmm. um, And you need to understand that. Um, But I think the preponderance of evidence Suggests that it came from a, a natural origin, and um, you know the the way that the the virus is transmitted and how it has has tra- transmitted to other animals, right? So it's not going to be something that's in a, a petri dish in the lab, right? To be able to jump out, infect a person, and then that person is going to be able to to spread it so efficiently. There needs to be some evolution in between that takes place. Yeah. And so I think you know, typically in these types of situations, viruses that that tend to do this, this kind of spillover are generalists in what they infect. Right. And so there's, I think, now evidence, compelling evidence that suggests that the, this virus SARS-2 is a generalist. So there have been infections in mink farms in the Netherlands and parts of the United States. And we've seen rapid evolution and adaptation to mink Um, There's spillover into deer in the United States. And and I think, you know, evidence to suggest that it's spread among deer. And then if you think about the the outbreak exclusively in humans, we've had this original virus that caused the outbreak in 2020. In fact, a significant number of humans that have now been replaced by this Delta variant Mm -hmm. that is even more adapted for transmission and spread among humans. And so that suggests that there has been further adaptation to human infection.
0: This is evolution. Evolution. Yeah, right. So that that's, I'm, I'm glad you put it that way because you put it in layman terms because I think a lot of people, um, they hear Delta and they're like, oh, like uh, there's uh, reports of it being more lethal and more, or not, no, uh, less lethal, but more contagious. Um, and then when I, I mentioned that to Vincent, he's like, yeah, but the vaccine, is like, he's like, just if you get the vaccine, it covers, like you're kind of basically saying like it's in its original form, the vaccine would take care of that on top of other variants as well, correct? Right.
1: Yep, we have, um, you know, there is evidence that that shows that the vaccines work just as effectively against Delta. Right. Um, there, you know, is nothing to suggest right now that the vaccines that we currently have wouldn't work against, I mean, it, it's not impossible, but they in all likelihood will work against new variants that emerge.
0: Right, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like it's kind of like, it's not 100%, but it's good enough to where it would protect you um, if you got sick.
1: Right, I think the bigger concern is um, vaccine equity and the the lack of vaccinated individuals around the globe, right? Right. So anywhere there's spread around the world, gives potential for new variants to emerge that then may at some point undermine the vaccines that we have. Um, And so eventually if we get everything under control here, you know, get as many people vaccinated as possible if um, they're spread in Africa or other parts of the world that have not had an equivalent amount of access to the vaccines. That's that's a concern from a, a global health standpoint, and it should be a concern from a, a health standpoint in the United States because we're not going to be sheltered from that.
0: Right, so what, basically what you're saying is, let's say we were all vaccinated in America and someplace in Africa they weren't, and then that gave room for a new variant to be created that maybe our vaccine can't go up against. And then by the time it got to us, we would be in a similar situation as 2020. Yep, makes sense that's scary as hell um well we need to (laughs) you need to vaccinate the world (laughs) um well uh, another thing i thought well let me just back up real quick um to the to the wuhan and and the the evolution because um are you familiar with brett weinstein um he's an evolutionary biologist um super polarizing he's on he goes on joe rogan all the time um so yeah so he's he, he got he convinced me first of all, until I talked to Vincent about the <laughs> Wuhan lab um, because he, he, was, he was talking about uh, how he was basically saying there was no way that um, the, the virus, the original virus would have the attributes of being able to spread so quickly uh, and jump from host to host so quickly without having some sort of kind of help from humans by kind of mutating that virus. And then, of course, Vincent was like, "It's completely not true. Like, it could absolutely happen. It happens all the time. and It can happen very quickly, or very. It could take a long time." So he convinced me otherwise. But is that is that uh, you know kind of with piggybacking off of what Vincent said, is that accurate to where you would you would agree that that can actually happen?
1: Oh, absolutely, it can happen. Um, and I think you know to the other point, transmission for most viruses is a black box. Hmm. So, to if you wanted to make a virus in the lab to for nefarious purposes or mm-hmm. for you know research purposes, we wouldn't know where to start to make a virus like SARS two that is highly transmissible during the asymptomatic phase. Hmm. Um, and wow. if if someone tells you otherwise, I I think that are not being completely honest with you
0: right yeah oh that's kind of what he, he's also an evolutionary biologist and that vincent was like well that kind of he's not he's not a virologist like, he doesn't do this every single day it's almost like an opinion um and there was no data to back that up it was kind of like a hypothesis and like uh, opinion but what do you mean by black box can you kind of just circle back on that like what do you mean we wouldn't be able to know where to start
1: well so you you, you could it wouldn't know where to design the virus, right? So with, with pathogens um, for transmission, so sometimes transmission can be coupled with increased virulence. Sometimes there's a trade-off that I hmm. become more transmissible, but then I become less virulent. So I, I cause less disease. Um, and it's all kind of optimized and balanced to, so the, the virus wants to get to new hosts, right? right? And so however it does that, it's going to evolve in that direction to make it as transmissible as possible. Huh. And so to say that, um, like, if I wanted to make a virus, and you can, you can do this in the lab, you can make viruses to understand concepts related to how they evolve and how they get transmitted um, using molecular biology and genetics. But to say, I all I need to do is introduce this mutation, I don't think anyone can possibly know that you, know, you make a single mutation or a series of mutations that is gonna make um, this bat virus suddenly into SARS-2. Right. So if you, if you look at the phylogenetic tree of the, the relationships between the coronaviruses, so the virus that SARS-2 is most closely related to, the, the bat virus, So they're 96% similar, but that doesn't mean that there's a a 4% like segment of the genome that you can just say, if I take this out and replace it with something else, it's going to make SARS too. Those mutations, those differences are spread all over the genome. Hmm. And so to know which combination of them need to be changed, um, it is just impossible to, to know from like a predictive standpoint, like we can go back and there's a paper that just came out, um, looking at the original version of the virus and now Delta and looking at the mutations that have occurred as Delta has, has taken over. And then you can go back with systems and say, okay, well, it was, was this mutation Mm. is why Delta is more transmissible or likely this mutation played a role in increasing Delta's transmissibility.
0: Right. That makes so much sense. That, that actually makes more sense than what, I mean, we didn't really dive into it and Vincent, he just kind of was more angry of like, that's not even true, (laughs) but, but but that makes sense because like, that's, you know, you can't like, so you're saying someone can't just, oh, I have this little injection that I'm going to give this virus and know for a fact that it's what it's going to do, if anything, or the, the directory that it's going to take. Correct.
1: Right. So, um, you know, the, the original SARS from mm-hmm. the early 2000s, which is really closely related to this virus. So that that virus didn't cause a pandemic in all likelihood because it um, most people didn't start shedding virus until they were really, really sick. Mm-hmm. And so that virus replicated in the lower respiratory tract. So it wasn't really very good at getting out of
0: people, basically. So it wasn't very transmissible. Transmissible. It wasn't
1: very transmissible until you were very, very sick. And so then you'd be in the hospital and there's not this, you know, whole population to expose. You're quarantined, you're black. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with SARS-2, it replicates in the upper respiratory tract. It replicates really efficiently before you start showing any symptoms. So the difference is that you're out walking around at the mall, but so we picked out where you're inside walking around at the mall and you're exposing a lot of people potentially wow. before you even have any inclination that you're sick. And so to try to, you know, understand, well, how do you, how do you get a virus to do that is just, yeah, I, it, it would, it's, you know, Near borderline impossible. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's so crazy. I didn't even, I, I knew SARS the first one back, you know, in the early two thousands, I didn't know. Cause I was, I, I thought about that when this, when this one came out, I'm like, why didn't that you know, pop off like this one did. And I didn't know that it was because it was basically harder to transmit. And then by the time you were transmitting, you were in the hospital. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Dr. Fauci has said it multiple times. This is like the worst case scenario, a virus that is asymptomatically spread um, that in, like, you can talk about the, the mortality rate all you want Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about a denominator of millions of people even a one percent mortality rate is a lot of people dead right um like it's it's a worst worst case scenario of something that is going to to be spread asymptomatically but still causes a significant amount of disease
0: right so it wouldn't be as bad if it wasn't killing people and it wasn't as lethal even though it was spreading so fast and and wide yeah right that's crazy so it's basically the the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So the other thing I talked about, uh, what's your name? Uh, uh, Rebecca Katz with, which I didn't, which we talked about with polio and, and all these other diseases that we kind of like got rid of, like with the herd immunity. Mm-hmm. And I've talked, I've heard Fauci mention it before. We need to get to whatever percentage it is to get herd immunity. Is that even possible at this point? And I feel like I don't know if 75% of the country, I know, I know 75% of the country is not vaccinated, I think. But is there a point where we do get herd immunity where all the people that are like, I'm not getting vaxxed, will be s- safe? Um,
1: I mean, I've, yeah, so the, the concept of herd immunity is, is difficult. Um, right. And I think we need to talk more about like community immunity or What's population, that? it's just more on a, a focal scale. Instead like a of local, like local, a smaller Local, like, um, you know, and even to say, like in the Twin Cities, 70% of adults or whatever are vaccinated, that doesn't mean that like seven out of 10 people that I'm walking around the grocery store with are vaccinated. It, it's really highly focal depending on county, depending on neighborhood. Right. Um, I think that at, at some point, Um, you know, there will be enough people that are either immune because of vaccination or immune because they have been exposed to the virus um, and develop immunity that way that it will drive cases down.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I I, I was just curious of that because, you know, the herd immunity thing that that makes a lot of sense because you have a lot of cities that are not to be political, but like a lot of the left in blue states that are in the city are typically getting vaccinated, and then the rural communities aren't. So, let's say you have Atlanta down, like in Atlanta, is very you know democratic, I and mean, Twin Cities, Minnesota is you know, for some for the most part, uh, left in the city, but outside. Mm-hmm. So is that what you're talking about? Like as a whole state, that accounts for everything, or just and it, just because the Twin Cities is seventy percent, I mean, you have a vast majority of the entire state that it doesn't fit into that category. If that makes right, sense, right?
1: Yeah, and if you just look at the case data on, in the state of Minnesota by county, mm-hmm. um, so Hennepin Ramsey County, which is part of the the Twin City, the I guess the metro area suburbs is highly vaccinated and has had the slowest case growth hmm. over the past couple of weeks as, as our case numbers have basically skyrocketed. And then if you look outside of, of, of those counties, um, your vaccination coverage goes down and not surprisingly case numbers go up.
0: Yeah. That's what I've seen. Like on the news and stuff, they talk about like the Royal community, the ro- Royal communities are basically like way less protected. So then they're having more cases go up. Yeah. Yeah crazy i feel like this the data is there now to where people can kind of be educated in this enough to make a decision you know not to not not so much to make it political but it's kind of like i don't know i just think it makes well, sense it, has, well. it has become political
1: for that's sure the sad thing
0: right i think that's the reason why it's it's so bad with You know, if I tell someone I'm vaccinated, there's so many people that I talked to that I told them I got vaccinated and their heads literally exploded like what you have and I'm like, I'm not some like crazy right winger like nut job you know what I mean like I'm just, I'm talking to people like you who are educating me on actual facts and data that I'm not just getting my my information and data from CNN or Fox. And I think that's like the, that's where I think we went wrong in the beginning is making this so, you know, politically just, it's just polarized, you know, and it, and, and, and me and Vincent talked about this is like all these politicians, they have something to gain from it, you know, they were, you know, however Trump handled it could have, been his demise or could have pushed him potentially to be reelected so i don't know i just think it's a it's unfortunate because a lot of people now are getting sick and dying and not getting the cover that they need because they're taking all of this information from a place that isn't that accurate if that makes sense all
1: well, right it's it's misinformation misinformation and people right. are highly susceptible to to misinformation
0: yep um
1: it, it's been a a a polarizing issue i think for everyone i mean within my family um you know i have (laughs) i have one side of my family telling me that i'm crazy because i know too much um and then i've had other parts of my family tell me straight up that they just don't know who to trust (laughs) Right, but they've chosen to, to trust someone on Facebook instead.
0: Yeah. No, that actually that, I, I have a question for you. How does that, how does that work for you? How is it hard for you when you talk to certain people? Uh, Cause Vincent was getting like visibly like angry because he was like, like I've been doing this for 40 years. I know what I'm talking. Like you've dedicated your life to viruses. Like if, and and it's not, you're not some like, Shrill of like, oh, you're getting paid by Pfizer, you know, and I, I highly doubt that, so no, um, nope. but, that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what people think, you know, man, yeah. like, people are like, oh, they're like, my comments for Vincent are like, oh, he's getting paid by Fauci, I'm like, you sound like an idiot for one, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if it's just, how, is that difficult for you? When you know the data, like the back of your hand, you know, what's accurate and what's true. And then you see all this stuff in, in the news and the media, and then especially on social media, on Facebook, where you have these self-proclaimed geniuses that all of a sudden know everything about viruses since 2020. Is that hard for you?
1: Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> and I mean, I, I think... You know, science communication is difficult and um, we could go a long way as a field to do a better job of trying to to beat people where we are. But, um, you know, anti-science is is big business in and of itself. And um, I get worried about anti-science, just aggression, in in general, as right. part of society, and now we're seeing it play out. And you know, it, it you can whatever politician or whoever you, you know saying undermining vaccine campaigns or whatever it's like, well, why are you siding with the virus?
0: Right, it, literally, yeah. That's that's what that kind of what Vincent was saying about uh, like the was it Abbott in Texas and um Desantis, yeah, Desantis yeah, in Florida. Florida, and it's like. You know, you're making these decisions. You're you're not like that's a good way to put it. You're siding with the virus versus siding with trying to save people. The people
1: you're supposed to be protecting.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's crazy, man. But yeah, I just was curious of like how as as someone who knows what the hell they're talking about, legitimately. (laughs) You know what I mean? Not just like you didn't get your you know degree from Facebook or Google, so that must be very difficult.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to navigate day to day life.
0: Yeah, I bet, especially with family, because I'm the same way of half, half people I know are like, you're crazy, man, what are you doing? You're going to have an arm popping out of your head. The, the government's going to track you now. Goes, <laughs> I froze, I froze, right? Yeah, okay, oh, I'm back. Yep. I was going to say, I think uh, if they wanted to track me, they could just track me. Yeah,
1: you, you're around your cell phone.
0: <laughs> yeah, they don't need to inject me with something to to track me. Mm-hmm. My God. Um, one more question, I'll let you get out of here. So I asked the two virologists that I talked to, Uh, First, Rebecca said, what's your biggest fear? She told me influenza, obviously something similar to the Spanish flu Mm -hmm. um, that killed a lot of people. Um, And then oddly enough, Vincent told me rabies. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, because it's he's like, we have vaccine vaccine for and stuff like that. And you can prevent it. But if you get it, it's you're dead. Like it's is what he told me so um, yeah which i thought was odd because i'm like rabies i don't even think about that shit you know i mean it's like it's a raccoon type situation i don't think of it as like epidemic as no i i I guess (laughs)
1: you got the context of the question wrong but um (laughs) well because yes i agree rabies is a very scary virus yeah uh, but i don't think it's gonna cause a pandemic take us out (laughs)
0: yeah great
1: what's yours so for what might be the next pandemic?
0: What, what is like, what keeps you up at night? what's like, listen, like this, oh, this is... The scariest
1: to... thing for yeah. me. So, um, you know, I, I work on these viruses that have epidemic and pandemic potential. Mm-hmm. And um, we too often as a public health community, as a research community are always in a reactive position. So it spills over causes an epidemic and we're left to scramble. Right. Um, I thought Zika might've changed that a little bit. And then I was disappointed when SARS-2 happened. And if you go back to the early timeline of March, 2020 and the missteps from a public health standpoint and the messaging, um, and I worry. And although, you know, with the, the number of people that have died, I would, it is it's stunning and shocking that we learn our lesson Again, but I'm afraid that we're going to enter into um, some level of complacency again and not take the steps necessary to to do pandemic preparedness correctly. Mm -hmm. So then whatever comes next, and there will be something that comes next, um, we're going to be left being reactive again instead of proactive. And if you're asking about a pathogen, I'd probably take even odds that it's going to be another coronavirus. Um, a, an arbovirus a, a virus that's transmitted by mosquitoes like yellow fever virus or you also can't sleep on influenza
0: right yeah that's so your biggest fear is basically humans
1: it's complacency yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah that's actually kind of he kind of piggybacked or he kind of backtracked from the rabies and kind of said like his biggest fear would be like what you said is not being kind of prepared yeah not ready yeah which makes so much sense you would think by now we would have especially with all the viruses and stuff that we've seen over the the years we would have some sort of you know preparedness like like how we treat our military like we're ready 24 7 if somebody wants to come mess with us but when it comes to stuff that we really can't see it's not really there right no nope. it's great it's a it's a you know a global health
1: Problem, it's a um security right. um problem, it's an economic problem, right. it's a, a social problem. So it's That's it's true multifaceted that. Um, but when it's not happening in the moment, it's easy to forget about.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's because we don't, like I said earlier, man, like that 24 news cycle, a 24-hour news cycle. We don't have like a something happens, there's a shooting at a school, and then you know, a date. Oh, I've already made my praise and I've loved the photo and I've said what I want to say. And then 24 hours later, it's like, it never happened. It's things like that don't change. You know, they don't like those things aren't big enough of an impact. Like how is a global pandemic, not a big enough impact to set that stuff up to where we don't have to, you know, scramble. Cause that's what it felt like.
1: 2020
0: felt like a scramble of like, Oh crap, what is this? Let's figure it out. And let's just throw shit on the wall and see what sticks. That's how I felt. Yep man crazy time
1: fairly accurate
0: <laughs> all right cool i'm learning um <laughs> hey man thank you so much uh, for coming on appreciate it
1: yeah no problem
0: where can people find you are you on twitter on instagram stuff like uh that? yeah i'm the on research twitter
1: yep i use twitter to promote research
0: nice nice i'll put all the links in the, uh in the description below and that's another episode for the e 4 was a podcast we'll see you next time and right now they're doing a buy one get one free plus free shipping the 30-day money-back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product, of any purchase on their website by using EXPLICIT10. Use the code EXPLICIT10, and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from BravoConcealment.com.